there, I'm Vicki Howell, and welcome to episode 5 of Craftish. This episode is sponsored by Chicken Boots, project bags and zippered tool cases for crafty people. Their needle and hook cases are secure and make things organized simply. And they're all handmade in the U.S. And I just love the versatility, the durability, and that they're clearly designed by someone who knows what fiber crafters need. And I especially love the fabric choices, some of which were coincidentally designed by this episode's guest. For more information, go to chickenbootsusa.com. Today I chat with fabric and quilt designer Tula Pink. I came across her designs from a recommendation from an executive at a company I was in talks with to do a digital series. She had shot her own series through them, so I watched a few of her episodes for reference, and I was blown away by her talent. I feel like if fashion designer Betsy Johnson and filmmakers Tim Burton and Wes Anderson teamed up to produce a textile designer, that Tula would be their love child. Her stuff is that cool. I found her to be dry, witty, and totally open to conversation, so we recently spent some time talking about illustration, design, and haunted houses. Let's meet her. Tula Pink, I'm so excited to have you on Craftish. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I noticed when I was doing a little research that you and I have something in common. Oh, we, yeah? What's that? Well, we both... We both grew up in Southern California, and we both live kind of south, in the south-ish now. Yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. I went, first of all, where in Southern California did you grow up? Um, between Santa Monica and Ventura County, so Southern California. You're, be more specific. I grew up in Torrance. That's why I'm asking. Oh. I think uh, we were like Santa close, Monica, close. My dad lived in Santa Monica, and my mom lived in Thousand Oaks. Okay. Um That is a very, both of those vibes, so you got the beach vibe and you got the valley vibe, both of those are very different than Kansas City, Missouri, where you live now. Correct. Talk to me (laughs) a little bit. So I want to hear from another quirky in the best sense of the word, that is a huge compliment for me, so don't take it the wrong way, you know, creative type who grew up in the South Bay, about what that was like and how how you felt that you fit there, and and what, if any, experiences sort of molded how your art looks today? Well, I would say that a lot of my color sensibility comes from sort of that Southern California vibe, that like sort of beachside vibe. It's like really clear, bright colors. Um, I really go for it. I'm not afraid of like neon is my friend in some ways. And I feel like that's a very like Southern California Valley girl sort of vibe, Yeah, which, you know, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm all right with it. So, um, I mean, in that sense, definitely, I think, I think color wise, I was definitely influenced by where I grew up. Um, but I mean, I mostly live in my head. I mean, for me, I don't really care where I live, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? So as long as, you know, everything in my head is going the right way. I'm kind of cool wherever. Yeah. So how did you decide to make that big jump from, because it's kind of a cultural jump. It's not just a location oh, jump. Culture shock is a real thing. It like, is, yeah. It's a real thing. Um, actually, the decision was sort of made for me. I didn't really intend to end up out here, um, but my mom had twin girls when she was 48 and she had oh bless her yeah right and she had moved out here and gotten married a number of years earlier 
And then she had these twins and I was like, well, I'll come out, you know, cause I can do what I do from really anywhere. As long as I have an internet connection and a place to work, I'm good to go. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I'll come out and help you like get acquainted. And then that was nine years ago. I just never left. Wow. Well, I saw, um, I, I was watching some of your QNN show, um, inside your home mm-hmm. And I have to say, they were talking to me about doing doing a show as well, f- briefly. Uh-huh. And after I saw your place, I was like, "Oh hell no, I can't! Like, <laughs> I can't live up to that." I can't. Your oh, your no. your workspace is phenomenal. Will you talk a little bit about not only some of the history, um, but also how you've converted it to truly be, you know, Tula Pinkified? Yeah. Well, this place was sort of. Um, just, I mean, I wasn't looking to buy a new house. I wasn't anything. I just saw it. You know, it's like one of those things where I just walked in and I knew it was home. Um, and it took me about five minutes to make that decision once I got here. It's a farmhouse, right? Yeah. It's actually an old barn. It's a old carriage house from like the early 1900s, late 1800s that was converted into a home in the mid eighties. Um, by one of, basically by one of the founders of the town I live in. So it's a family that's lived here for generations and the town sort of built up around their hardware business from back when people were moving West, you know, and they had a hardware business and, um, I actually bought it from sort of the last descendant of the family. So I'm the first person not in the original family to live on this property, which is kind of interesting. Did you feel any sense of responsibility with that? Totally. Totally. Because, um, the other two remaining members of the family are my neighbors. Oh no. So I do feel like this, like sort of weird responsibility to like, make sure they're okay with the changes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like Um, they're always like judging you? Yeah. (laughs) They're super nice. They're super nice, but I do feel like judged from time to time. Um, but the, it, I don't know. It was just, it was just kind of ideal and it's like a really awkward living situation. If, if I had like a really traditional family situation, this house would be like totally not workable. (laughs) I mean, it's just bizarre because it's an old barn and they left a lot of the barn elements in place when they renovated it. So it's got this like industrial barn vibe, but they're like a really old money family um, back in the day. So So it's like a gilded barn. It's like a gilded barn. It's the weirdest thing on earth, but it like completely fits my headspace. So it was kind of perfect. And all the tile work in the house all resembles quilt blocks. Like it's all like quilt block, which is bizarre. I mean, it was just that was there already. Mm hmm. Yeah, already there. And, you know, it's like I walk into the what is the living room and dining room and there's like a huge pink marble fireplace. And I'm like, well, that's the studio. So and that's sold. Done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you it was just pink. kind of like too perfect. I really haven't yeah. done anything to it. Um, I just kind of moved like my big mountain of rainbow stuff into it and called it a day. Yeah. Yeah. So. Is it haunted? Uh, yeah, I think so. Do you? I mean, I do kind of ask Betty, who is the original owner of the place, like from permission when I do anything major, you know, <laughs> it's sure. like, what do you think, Betty? Is it going to be okay? Sure. I'm yeah, sure like, she respects that. I think she does. I think she disapproves of some of my choices, but. <laughs> some of the color choices. Yeah. Maybe, maybe don't <laughs> scream 1894 to her. <laughs> 
you um you're an amazing illustrator and but you're known for both textile design and quilting. Can you can you talk a little bit about sort of like that path, like how you how you started and how you found um, quilting as a vehicle of expression? Yeah. Um, well, I've always been an illustrator. I mean, I always knew I would do something with drawing. I mean, you know, it's like you're either kind of born drawing or you're not, you know, and um, that's what I went to school for, for illustration. And I really thought that I was going to be like a children's book illustrator. That was my goal. And, you know, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. So, of course, I was like, yeah, the one thing I won't do is work in entertainment. I'll never do that because that's what, like, all of Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. And so, naturally, that's the first thing I did when I got out of school is worked in entertainment for seven years. So, Where did you, where did you work? Um, I worked uh, in the record industry as an art director. Fascinating. I also worked in the entertainment industry in LA. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. My sister's still my sister's still there. She's in PR, so you know it's kind of a family business a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I actually started quilting years ago, like when I was like twelve, um, because you know I got it. You know, it's the same story. I think that most of us have. Someone gave me a sewing machine just to see what I would do with it. Um, my grandmother actually, and my family does not sew. They are all like, you know, acrylic fingernails, five inch heels. Yeah. Like we don't make stuff. We buy it. Kind of people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was like a real, like, you know, anomaly. I was like the white sheep of the family, you know, trying to make stuff, being all homely and things. And they were not into it. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> Uh, so I got this sewing machine and I was just like cutting pillow shaped holes in all my mom's like Ralph Lauren curtains. And oh, I'm things. sure she loved that. Yeah, she totally did not love that at all. <laughs> it was shocking. But, um, and so she's like, okay, we just got to take you to a fabric store because this is getting crazy and expensive. So that we just had happened- a great reaction. Yeah. Right. My mom's pretty practical in that sense. Yeah. You know, let's just solve the problem at hand, you know? Yeah. Um, so the closest fabric store to us where I grew up, we just ha- happened to be a quilt shop and we didn't know there was like different kinds of fabric stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happened to be a quilt shop. She signed me up for like a beginner class and I took the class and everyone in the class hated me because I was like 12 and super annoying and like didn't want to follow any directions. And I think they like politely asked my mom not to bring me back. Um, but wow. it just happened to be a quilt shop. Like, I think if that first store was a dressmaker shop or a home deck fabric shop, it could have been like, we could be having a completely different conversation. Um, but so I got into quilting first and then just sort of never left it. I just loved it. And I never really had the desire to make a lot of like three dimensional objects. Um, and early on, I didn't know how to finish my quilts, like how to actually quilt them. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that. And all of that. Are you doing your own quilting? Uh, no, not now. Now I work with Angela Walters. Okay. Uh, she does all my long arm quilting and she's a genius. So that works out really well because it makes me look super good at what I do. Um, but so I used to just like when I was like a kid, I would take these quilt tops I would make because that's as far as the class taught me how to make anything. And then I just wrap them around my waist and sew it up the side and just wear them until they fell apart. Um, so 
I yeah, it. right. It really worked for a long time um, until I got hips, and then it really didn't work. Oh, anymore. Mm-hmm. Shaking my fist at the at that. So cool. Uh, <laughs> that's funny because uh, just a sidebar when I first started sewing when I was like little little I just traced around doll dresses oh, and then yeah. cut them out and then sewed them up the sides like I didn't like it's funny that what you don't think about until you have hips you don't think about right. dimensions right. and like curves and you know and grading yeah exactly my little sister one of the twins she's nine and you know she's all she wants to make clothes right now and I'm like yeah have at it kid because you only got a few years do it left. now, <laughs> do it now. but I kind of love that I love that there's not that block that we get as adults you know not right. those barriers right anyways carry on I interrupted you no that's okay I don't even know what I was talking well, about well you were talking about about quilt tops that you weren't quilting oh um, right yeah you started there yeah, so I started there, and then, you know, as I sort of – I kind of walked away from it for a little bit and, like, went through my angsty teenage years and was, like, really angry at everything and then, like, calmed down again and came back to it later. Mm-hmm. Um, but – and then when I came back to quilting, there were two, like, newer designers on the market, which were Kay Fawcett and Amy Butler, and they were doing things that with fabric that I would – I had never, ever seen yeah. before. Um, you know, it was just like a whole new world. And I was like, whoa, fabric can look like this. This is insane. You know, like it was finally something that was start like sort of speaking to me because prior to that I was taking whatever fabrics I could find because I learned early on about like independent store fabric versus chain store fabric and that whole thing. So, you know, I was a purist in that sense already, but the only things I could find were a lot of like civil war reproductions or like shabby chic, which wasn't really my style, but it was close enough that I could do something with it. Yeah. So I was taking those fabrics and over dyeing them and bleaching them out and screen printing on top of them just to make something that I wanted to use for these quilts. And then when these two designers came on the scene, Kate and Amy, who are legendary now, yeah. um, you know, I was like, this is amazing. And I was just, it kind of restarted my sewing again. And I wanted to make a whole bunch of stuff, but they were only doing one line a year. And I was making more than two quilts a year. So I decided that I was going to design my own line of fabric and I was going to print it in my garage because I had a printmaking background from college. That's super punk rock, by the way. So punk rock, right? I know. I'm really, really <laughs> Your angsty teenage self would have high-fived you right then and there. So, so many high-fives, <laughs> but like grudgingly because there was angst involved. Oh, no, no, but no. Yeah. I'm sorry. Side smirk. I should have right. said side smirk. So we would side smirk each other hard, <laughs> real hard. Um, <laughs> but so... I decided I was going to design this fabric line and I was going to print it in my garage and it was going to be awesome. And yes, super punk rock also. And, um, and I had this, like, I was, you know, cause I was working in the music industry at this point and I was an art director. I was very proud of myself, you know, and, and I was like, I'm just going to send this off and get some feedback. And so I sent it out to a few fabric companies you know, I mean, and now looking back, like so naive, like they're just sitting around waiting for my email to give me feedback so that I can go print some stuff in my garage, you know? (laughs) Um, yeah, that's not how it works, but, but whatever it, you know, they ended up, uh, picking up the line and like 36 hours later, I had a fabric line in production. You're kidding me. Yeah. It was a complete fluke. I mean, that naive, naivete kind of paid off, right? 
Yeah, and it's it's kind of like the same thing I love about beginning quilters. It's like they don't know enough to be afraid of things, which I think is great. And that was kind of me at that point. Um, like I didn't know enough about the industry to be intimidated by the people I was emailing. So I was just sort of like, you know, hey, I've got this thing. What do you think? I don't know. I was going to put it in my garage. Think it's cool or what? You know, it was just like so totally dumb. But I mean, you didn't know you had hips. It's the same thing. It is the same thing. It's like a reoccurring theme in my life. It's like being too dumb to know to like, you know, be scared of stuff. I'm going to totally embroider that on a pillow. I didn't know I had (laughs) hips because that's totally true. Like anytime when you just like blindly go for something because you're passionate about it and don't let those barriers, you know, get in your way. I'm not saying that you're automatically going to get your lifelong dream, but it opens up doorways that wouldn't be, you know. I do think that like you do things that are super brave, but you don't know you're being brave. So you do them with so much confidence that it just comes off like this crazy bravado that you didn't even know you had, which you really don't know you have because, you know, you're kind of blowing my mind. Right, you're now. Kind of, right, right. And so, I mean, I kind of, it's worked for me several times now. So I kind of just roll with that at this point. And, you know, now when I put out a new fabric line or a new book or something, if I don't have that little like knot of fear in my gut, then I haven't done enough, Mm -hmm. like I haven't taken it far enough or I haven't worked hard enough or something. And I found that like, you know, when I'm because that that emotion is directly tied to sort of reaching outside your comfort zone, you know, and that's sort of push things forward do you try and bring that same vibe into your drawings when you're designing fabrics totally yeah I mean you know really at its core I'm just trying to draw and make fabrics that I want to use and hopefully other people feel the same way yeah you also what I kind of love about your style is that you have kind of the anti Chanel vibe like instead of <laughs> yeah. less is more, you're just like, wait, I can there's still a little bit of space here. Oh, yeah, totally. Talk to me about that about that choice about um how you can how you intentionally squeeze in little you know bits and surprises here and there in your drawings well i i I feel like um when I'm drawing or designing fabric specifically, I, I'm kind of telling myself a story, but like, it's like a big joke, you know, it's like, oh, what can I hide here? That would be really funny. Like if it's not funny, I'm not terribly interested. And I love, I love the contrast. I call it like the angry cupcake theory, like, or, you know, like there's nothing funnier than an angry cupcake because like, it's a cupcake. It's like all sweet and pink and frosty, but then it's like yelling at you and (laughs) eyebrows and teeth. And I think that's hilarious. Right. So, um, I'm always looking for that sort of like writing that line between two different things. So my approach to fabric design is like, tends to be like, I want to create this sort of like elegant, classy, you know, sort of William Morris-esque thing, but then there's like a giant octopus wrapped up in it, you know, just sort of exactly the opposite of what you'd expect to see there. And that's when I am the most delighted is when I can sort of achieve that. And when I'm delighted, then I just want to keep going. And I just want to fill the space until the space is full because I really want people to get their money's worth when they buy the fabric. I love that. I love that, that sense of duty. 
Yeah, I, I definitely I like feel a, that. Yeah, I definitely have like a serious sense of duty when I'm designing fabric. I'm staring um, at your coloring book right now, which brilliant, by the way. Um, <laughs> and I see what you're talking about. There's like this page of just sort of like ornate foliage and then all, all of a sudden what appears to be a pirate ship. Yes. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Classy. So classy. Stars and foliage. Classy is pretty much my middle name. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about your, um, I'm kind of obsessed with your Elizabeth collection. Will you, will you, are you a history buff? Is, do you just, do you just like her hair? I mean, where did, how did you? Well, she has super good hair and I really have does. to respect that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do love history and historical things. Um, and that line actually came out of, um, so I go to England every year to do, um, well, most years when I can, to do uh, the Twisted Threads Festival in yeah. Birmingham. Yeah. And I go with uh, my fabric company, who is based in England, Coates, uh, who owns Free Spirit. It's all, you know, tangled web behind the scenes stuff of right. business. But um, so they bring me over every year. Uh, or almost every year. And the art director there, who is usually like my handler, because I cannot be unsupervised outside the country, like for even one second. Um, <clears throat> she's the one who's sort of always in charge of me. And uh, she's this really, really cool lady. And she knows I love like to do like quintessentially English things when I'm in England. So every I like a theme too. It's about the right? theme, right? I love okay. a theme. I okay. love a theme. I feel like I would have been a really good sorority girl if I hadn't gone to art mm. school. Like I could have been like the social chair of Delta Gamma or something. Um, but my actually my sister was anyway, side note, my um, so she always takes me to have like quintessential like afternoon English tea yeah. somewhere really, really cool. And we had just I had just come back from there and she had taken me to have tea at Hatfield House, which is where Queen Elizabeth the first grew up. And so we were like having tea in Elizabeth's like throne room, right from 15. Whatever. How do you dress for that? Um, in Converse mostly. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I like to bring a little edge to the okay. situation, you know? See, I have like I, either like a crown or a like a large hat in mine, but Converse kind of work out anywhere. I, so. Yeah. You could like stick a feather in your tennis shoe. I think that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm there with you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But so we're like, you know, it was just sort of just this crazy experience because especially like when I travel outside the country, it's so fascinating to me because as, as a governed country, we're so new, you know, compared to the rest of the world. So, um, you know, where nothing here is more than a couple years old, everything over there is over 500 years old or more, you know? So it's, it's such a crazy thing to be sitting in a place that like people were actually chilling in, in like, you know, the 16th century. Yeah. And, and probably knew somebody who'd been beheaded. R- uh, yeah. Isn't that Maybe crazy? Even a relative perhaps. Yes. Super crazy. I mean, it was just fascinating and I love that kind of stuff. And so I like to sort of take those things and then like run them through my filter, which is what Elizabeth was. Um, it was sort of that experience. And then of course on the plane ride home, I was like listening to all these audiobooks about Elizabeth and stuff like that. And, um, just got really, really into the topic. And, 
um, just decided to draw it out. You know, I mean, that's kind of how I process all things like emotional or otherwise, you know, it's like uh, what Taylor Swift writes about her ex-boyfriends and I like draw about my travels. We're really the same person, mostly. I almost couldn't get you on this podcast because of your Taylor Swiftness. You're so uh, yes. in demand. My Taylor Swiftiness is really serious. Um, so who who is your Elizabeth? Did you go historical photos or were you like Kate Blanchett was your model? Uh, both. A, Kate Blanchett is a goddess. So there's that. Yeah. But um, I kind of, I, so I, I, when I draw people, they're always kind of 12 years old. Like always. They always look sort of tweenish for some reason. Um, and they always have freckles. So I knew that, However, I drew her. She was going to be one of my people and not her. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't need my fabric to be a historical record. Like, if you want the facts, read a book, not a not a fabric line. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, like, I, I went into it knowing that I was going to take, like, mad liberties from start to finish, that right. it wasn't going to be, like, a historical record. So I took sort of the most iconic things about her, you know, sort of the, like, two-pronged hairstyle and the the pearls were a big recurring theme. And um, so I was really just looking for things that would vaguely identify her as Elizabeth without her needing to actually be her in the strictest sense. Um it was kind of a starting point. I mean, I'm always kind of looking for a story as a starting point to a fabric line um, because there's plenty of lines out there that are, you know, here's your stripe, here's your dot, here's your floral. And those are great. And they have like a totally valid place in fabric, but the world doesn't need me to do that. Yeah. So I'm always looking for where else I can take it that'll make it interesting, but that you can still use for things that you can still sew. You know, it can't just be like a straight up illustration. It has to sort of also be usable. The interesting thing about that is that quilts kind of started as a historical record. I mean, that's how yeah. people told their stories. Right. Um, so even though maybe, you know, your Elizabeth isn't completely historically accurate, she could be used, she's going to be part of somebody else's history when they make a quilt using it. Absolutely. And I do use like, like that piece you were talking about um, from the coloring book is actually from Elizabeth that has the ship on it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's all kinds of symbolism from her actual like royal propaganda scheme in that piece. Um, The ship in it is the ships that she took out to defeat the Spanish Armada, um, which was her first big sort of war victory that sort of established her as a leader. Um, There's pelicans in it, which she used um, a lot in paintings of her. There's there's quite often a symbol of a pelican somewhere in there. Um, And she used all these like sort of really great propaganda tricks to sort of align herself religiously with either like Jesus or the Virgin Mary, because she inherited this like crazy divided country, you know, they were like killing each other over religion. And she had to figure out a way to sort of calm that mess down so that she could go about her business, you know? Right. And, um, the Pelican was, was, um, sort of thought to like a Pelican will sacrifice itself for its children And if its children are starving and there's no food, it will pluck out its own feathers and feed its children from its own body, which is much like, you know, communion in the Christian church. Yeah. 
And um, so by doing that, you know, by placing these symbols, because the, you know, the culture in the 16th and 17th century was much more visual, you know, they, they could read the cues in a different way than we do. Um, and so they'd see these, you know, she'd align herself with this pelican that's known to do this thing. And, and, you know, the message was, oh, not only am I your queen, but I will sacrifice for myself for yeah. you. You know, you're I'm your whatever. Mother. Yeah. You know? So it, it's all kind of fascinating. So I do put those things in the fabric and I don't really care if people see it or not, you know, but like, I know it's there and I do feel like there's some kind of subconscious, like sort of emotional response that people yeah. have to fabric, whether they know what it is or not. And if I put it there, I you know, in the hopes that somebody will feel it, even if they don't know exactly why. You use a lot of hidden, well, you know, kind of quote unquote hidden, because not really, mm-hmm. but kind of um, immersed animals um, yes. in your work, in your body of work overall. Mm-hmm. Are they, are there always that like st- strong of a story behind their placement or is some of it just like, oh, I love woodland creatures? Um, they, it, Yeah, I do love woodland creatures for sure. Um, there is sort of a... There's always some kind of story, like, you know, you'll never see, like, you know, a koi fish and a polar bear in the same line, because that wouldn't make sense. Um, but there's there's always some kind of overall story, and usually the main animal is sort of the main character, and the rest of the fabrics are, like, that main character's adventures in some way. Okay. Um, so, they're, you know, I'm always trying to tell myself this story, and they're not always that elaborate, for sure. Um, sometimes, sometimes they are, if they're based on something real, like Elizabeth or like a line I did called Parisville, which was like sort of a Marie Antoinette inspired collection. And then there was a Halloween line I did called Nightshade, where I told this like very elaborate story about these three witches to myself. (laughs) Why are you not writing this down? I mean, these are books. These are like Uh, graphic novels. I do actually write them down and they're in my, they end up in my sales materials that go to the sales rep. That doesn't help me at all. That doesn't what I help. want is a quilted graphic <laughs> novel from you. So go ahead and make that happen. Yeah. I'll go okay, ahead good. And thanks. Bud. For sure. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about family for a second. Um, I was watching, it must've been your show. Um, and I saw that you, your mom you have a relationship with your mom and your brother that are that seem relatively crucial to your business can you speak to that a little bit yeah um I only work with two people my mom and my brother um and they have offices in my studio and we work together every day um and it is a crucial relationship it's um because I have a tendency to want to work alone sort of in a vacuum and that's not always helpful And I get really good input from them, which sometimes I take and sometimes I blow off. It just depends. Um, But yeah, it it has sort of become sort of a little bit of a family business. My brother graduated from ASU with a degree in business. And, you know, I was asking him, what are you going to do? And he's like, I don't really know. And the job market was a little tough at the time. I was like, well, why don't you come work for me? And so he monitors all my social media and helps me with marketing and is sort of my right hand in product development because he has this really cool sort of alternate perspective. He knows everything about the quilting industry and fabric industry, but he isn't one of us. So 
he has this really sort of interesting perspective. I mean, when we did, uh, we just launched at last quilt market, my, uh, a line of hardware, like scissors and things Mm -hmm. and the actual sort of styling for that. It's sort of a, um, I forget what it's called, but it's like a rainbow coating that's on all the hardware. So it sort of is like iridescent. Right. Right. And it came from some like, something that he was seeing in like his car forums about cars and stuff, you know? So like he brought that to the table. So everybody sort of brings something to the table. Um, My mom actually ended up owning a quilt shop for a number of years. And so she has this really interesting retail experience that I find really helpful. And she's sort of like your average customer. So when I ask her if she likes things, if she likes it, the general population will like it. She's yeah. just like this great baseline meter. <laughs> you know, that's a has, huge asset. It is a huge asset. And if she's like, "Oh, that's really weird," then I'm like, "Oh man." <laughs> I gotta yeah, it's funny. It. My friend Jennifer Perkins um, and I always talk about how if we really love it, we know that it's going to be like it's not going to get as much like response. But if we're just like meh, people are going to go crazy for it. It's funny. Yeah, so that's I- awesome. You have that baseline. Yeah, and I found that actually to be true in the beginning of my career, but not as much anymore, which I think is interesting. It's like, I don't know if I'm starting to meet my audience or my audience is starting to meet me, I'm at. Um, But I have now found that sort of the further I take it, like outside of the box, so to speak, the more people respond to it. Well, I think that you've, you garner these followers and then, and if they're following you, they're really following you and you have such a distinct style. Yeah. They probably want the authenticity of it. I think so. I think, you know, back to it. I mean, I don't mean to get all like spiritual or whatever, but I feel like what I feel creating the fabrics really impacts how it's received. Like it's, there's something there, you yeah. know, like people feel it, they see it, whatever. Or maybe it's just because I'm more into it. I'm sort of putting more effort into it. I don't know. Um, but every time I get a little bit like frightened about putting something out, like it's a great idea when you're drawing something in your studio, you know, and it all seems everything's going to be awesome and it's great. And then when it gets closer to like going out into the world and now money has been invested and production has been run and a lot of people have put time into it, I start getting really nervous. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, maybe this was a bad idea. I don't know. And it's like the more I feel that way, I feel like the bigger the response I get to the collection. Interesting. Yeah. It's very reciprocal. Yeah. I mean, and it's cool. So I could sort of train myself to if I don't feel that way, then I need to like keep working on it. When uh, you mentioned um, a little bit before that your grandmother's the one that gave you your sewing machine. Was she around to see you um, become a brand ambassador for Bernina? No, she was not. Um, She passed away quite a few years ago. Um, But she was she was amazing, like long red fingernails, head to toe Chanel, no shenanigans whatsoever, (laughs) you know, like just like a super dope, like older German lady yeah, (laughs) and really severe and awesome. Um, but no, she never really got to see me sort of go down this road, um, at all. So that's a bummer about that. Yeah. But maybe she's hanging out with ghost Betty. 
just chilling. Probably her and Betty you. are like, can you believe she painted that deer head painting <laughs> on my beautiful wall? I can't believe that. Well, she was always a little strange like that. I love it. Well, tell us about you're about to um, head over to Quilt Market. Um, what will you be showing? What does that look like for you? Um, just getting ready now, just got sample yardage in, uh, yesterday actually. So I'm going to start making samples and we'll start talking about it and showing it in May. Um, it's a new collection and it'll ship to stores in September. Um, I'm not really talking about it quite yet, um, but it is my 20th fabric collection. Wow. So it's kind of a milestone. So I will say that I pulled out all the stops in this one. It's kind of epic. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be hard to do since I'm staring right now at Marie Antoinette <laughs> with her curls turning into watery waves. I'm really yeah, excited this, about it. This one definitely like goes all the way. I wanted to sort of like, I wanted my 20th fabric collection to be like a really a big celebration because it's a milestone in yeah. this industry. Um yeah, yeah, wear that badge with pride. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't think I would make it this long, so <laughs> I'm pretty excited about it. Well, your stuff is really amazing, and I appreciate you being here to chat with it. Um, it was a great, great talk. Thank you. I was happy to be here. All right, take care. Tula Pink's video series, Tula's House, can be watched on QNN TV. For more info, please check out this episode's show notes page at vickihowell.com slash craftish. Craftish is produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Thanks again to our sponsor, Chicken Boots. Make sure to check out all of their products. And thanks to you, listeners, for tuning in. Conversations like the ones I get to have for this podcast are pretty much my favorite thing to do. So I, um, I can't tell you how much it means to me that you're listening. And if you like what you hear, please share with your friends and take a moment to give a rating and review on iTunes. They really help with our visibility. If you're interested in any of my other projects, please join my mailing list found on the show notes page sidebar. This week, I'll be also broadcasting from the Creative Live studios in Seattle. If you tune into creativelive.com on Thursday and Friday mornings, you can take advantage of free broadcasts of my skills and techniques courses for knitting and crochet, respectively. You'll be able to ask questions in real time during the broadcast. I should also mention this is video, not audio. Tune in to the next episode of Craftish with my guest, artist and founder of Stencil One, Ed Roth. That'll go live next Tuesday. Until next time, take time to play, talk about, and otherwise revel in your craft, whatever it may be.